One of the most telling indicators of a recession has just appeared and is flicking red. Argentina experiences unseen falls in equities and more. Welcome to Worldwide Economy. Yeah, hey guys, so I'm actually in a hotel right now, so the setting is a bit different. In fact, as you can see, I'm in a bit of a fancy room. Uh, I didn't bring my stand, so uh, this is a bit of a weird angle. Anyways, uh, let's get into the uh, indices recap. So this week uh, overall has been... You know, a bit of a downtrend in many equities around the world. Um, in the American equities, and actually the Polish one as well, we saw bounce, uh, a bit of a bounce back on Friday, but nonetheless, um, no great results. Anyways, the S&P 500 is down 1%. NASDAQ composite down 0.8%. The WIG 20, 20 biggest companies in Poland, down about 3.5%. You know, I believe that for all three of these indices, it's actually at least the third consecutive week of uh, losses. So uh, definitely no good news. And the last index, which uh, will lead on to my story, second news story of the day, um, the, the Merval, or Merval, I guess you could say, uh, the Argentinian index down 24% uh, this week after a bounce back, actually. So yeah, that, that's the Argentinian stock index. Uh, like I said, I'll be focusing more on that uh, later on. Anyways, news and headliners. So today, uh, I've picked out two interesting stories. One of which is that all 15 of the 15 largest mortgage lenders hit by the UK price war. So 15, uh, essentially, the 15 largest mortgage providers in the UK uh, have been hit uh, by a price war that, you know, there's been uh, some increased competition, which was essentially sourced from the increased market legislation uh, in the UK, which first aimed at reducing risk in the market. So the firm's profit margins actually have fallen, and uh, as such, they've started giving out supposedly more risky debt, uh, ironically, to make more money and increase profits once again. An example of a risky lending of risky lending, sorry, is a mortgage loan covering 95% of the assets. So let's say a person will need only a 5% down payment uh, on a house, and uh, the bank will cover the rest. So you know, let's say if I want to go go and buy a house and it costs one hundred thousand dollars, I can put down five thousand dollars and get the mortgage for the rest. So you know, loans like these haven't actually been a common practice since the last financial crisis. And you know, perhaps sorry, um, firms should focus a bit less on profits and uh, in the short term, without you know, kind of realizing the long term implications of what this may hold, because. You know, so there may be a chance that a lot of people might default on a debt like that because if you if you can't cover you know more than five percent of an asset, you can't afford it. Uh, should you even buy it in the first place? That's an interesting topic, so you can uh, check that out. It's literally called. Uh, I'll, I'll leave the link in the description or uh, wherever the hell I can on whatever platform. You can check that out for yourself. Interesting stuff. Second story of the day. Uh, sorry if there's any background noise. Uh, we work a company which rents out offices for companies is hoping to soon go public. I believe they already wanted to go public before, but it didn't quite work out, if I'm not mistaken. And their aim this time is to raise three billion US dollars. So the company, much like Uber, is around a decade old, decade old, and has never turned a profit. And so you know, it's it's in fact actually up to its neck in losses. In the first six months of 2019, they lost 905 million US dollars on a revenue of 1.5 billion. So, you know, the trend of kind of groundbreaking, groundbreaking, unprofitable tech companies hitting the stock exchanges is set to continue. And it'll be interesting to see where the company will go from here. So obviously this year we've had Uber go public, uh, Lyft as well, I believe, Pinterest, Zoom. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, kind of big tech companies, unicorns uh, going public this year. And uh, the, you know, Uber's gone down quite a bit. Lyft hasn't been faring well. Pinterest and Zoom, I don't specifically remember. Beyond Meat. 
essentially there's been a lot of big new companies uh, IPOing, especially in the first half of this year, kind of the first quarter, I guess. And uh, I'm, I'm looking to kind of uh, make a video on where are they now, because I'm a bit skeptical of IPOs and I actually wrote an article about IPOs and the problem with IPOs some time ago. <clears throat> and um, I wouldn't say I'm wrong. Anyways, the first story of today is the inversion of the US yield curve. I kind of hinted at it at the beginning and it's uh, very, um, very interesting. It's an important topic, not just because of recent events, but just as really like a macroeconomic tool of analysis now that I've been reading more into it and kind of with my age getting a bit more of an understanding of what it can be used for and what it really shows, it's very interesting. <clears throat> in fact, I actually heard some uh, that some job interviews for, you know, equity analysis, that's something I'm interested in or anything to do with the stock market really. Uh, they will often ask about the yield curve. It's, you know, just a very kind of mainstream question for people to ask you uh, about and I guess it's just to check the contemporary knowledge of candidates, so I guess it's useful that I'm covering it now. Anyways, uh, essentially what the yield curve shows, or what it does, it, it shows you that the, essentially the yield, which is the money or return on investment of a bond, for a bunch of bonds offered to investors, so for example on the x-axis of the yield curve, um, or the graph really, uh, you have different bonds, so for example a one-month bond, uh, all the way on the left and a 30-year bond all the way on the right and with the y-axis of the graph being the yield of the bonds, so <clears throat> whatever percent on return of the actual bonds. Anyways, in theory, it should slope up as a bond with a longer maturity, so a longer maturity is obviously a longer um, term in on that thing, so you know, like a 30-year bond or a 50-year bond, whatever it essentially matures, it should slope up since, again, bonds with a larger maturity there's essentially more risk associated with lending your money for a longer period of time. The primary one being, let's say, inflation, which in theory erodes your money in returns. You know, maybe the economy might completely collapse and, you know, and essentially default on, it, on its debt, but, you know, mainly it's inflation. So essentially you want a high return or higher guaranteed return, you know, higher interest rate, higher yield on this bond to suffice or at least cover and obviously be above the expected inflation. Whereas, you know, lending for a single month, people don't expect anything, you know, usually don't expect anything bad to happen, like hyperinflation or the, again, US economy to collapse in just one month. So the interest rate, the yield will tend to be lower for uh, shorter maturity, uh, bonds of shorter maturity. Anyways, the interest rates associated with the bonds reflect the behavior and expectations that people have of the economy. So like I said, uh, if people in the long run will expect higher inflation in 30 years and expect a high economic growth, they want higher returns or higher yields, you know, interest rates to cover that. So essentially, um, you know, just a quick kind of FYN clarification, uh, the yield of a bond, like I kind of said, I want to really make this uh, clear, is essentially the return on the investment. Um, as a whole, the interest rate associated with the bond is the periodical payouts. And um, I guess kind of like the whole interest rate of the economy, let's say in the US it will be the federal interest rate, it's essentially the baseline guiding price for bonds and investors and borrowing lending money. It's important for me to distinguish between these words simply because they seem quite interchangeable, but in these specific scenarios um, there is often some difference between them. Anyway, so what does this mean? Well, with the inversion of the uh, yield curve, it shows that in the very short term, you know, people still expect normal economic growth or at least in a slowing economic growth, but no downturn. But, you know, for more medium and long-term bonds, representative of, you know, 
uh, people's sentiments of the future of the economy, people expect lesser returns uh, due to economic growth and such. And you know, the central bank, in the case of the US, the Fed, to actually cut interest rates uh, to aid the economy. So if you cut the interest rate, you cut the kind of uh, payouts on the bonds as well. And just to reiterate for those of you who don't know, these bonds, they're kind of, um, you know, like, like I, I really want to make this specific again, they're bonds, uh, sorry, the yields on the bonds and the interest rates, they're all very, uh, very interconnected. So it, it's all monetary policy uh, in association with the bond market. So anyways, a fixed income market, you could say also. Uh, so in essence, you link people's sentiment and opinions uh, of the foreseeable future uh, of the you know economy to the behavior of the bonds and kind of essentially the yield curve, the behavior of the prices you could say of the bonds, and once it inverts like it did this week, you might know something is up. Essentially, uh, actually no, especially since the last inversion that we saw was in two thousand seven. So obviously, that is not too great, and it begs the question: Is a U.S. recession or you know a world recession uh, imminent? Well, I've got this interesting FT article up that I'm going to show you right now. Essentially, it shows you a graph of the U.S. yield curve and the difference between the two and ten-year uh, Treasury yields. So the yields of the ten-year and two-year bonds in the U.S. This is a very popular metric, actually, which people use. Or essentially, the very popular, t- you know, the pair of bonds that people compare uh, to see whether something is up in the economy. So, as you can see, the graph shows you the difference in uh, the two aforementioned bonds in terms of BPS. So that is basis points. So, for example, um, two hundred basis points is going to be two percent, I believe. Uh, so, obviously, as you can see, there's been a long downtrend in it. So they've been converging. The yield curve has been flattening, so people have continually expected lesser and lesser economic growth and slower economic growth in the future. As the economy obviously has been expanding for a long time, there's been a lot of economic growth for the past uh, decade, essentially. So people essentially think, oh, there's only so much further that we can grow before something happens. So, you know, we've been growing for so, uh, for so long. Uh, we've, we're very low, very very low levels of unemployment. Nearly in some countries, the natural rate of unemployment, or even beyond. And obviously, as such, people expect the use of monetary policy, with the interest rates again being very low, to be very limited, etc., etc., etc. There's a lot of factors, but I'm just kind of spitballing here. I'm showing you what you can think about what these people uh, take this, take into account when looking at the economy from a macro perspective. Anyways. As you can see, the difference between them has been uh, converging, going to zero and beyond. Anyways, so is a U.S. recession imminent? It's very hard to say because, again, even though this yield curve um, inversion has actually been preceding many recessions in the past, uh, you can't say specifically. In fact, I've got a graph to aid this here. And uh, as you can see, before the uh, great financial crash, so our latest recession, There was a U.S. yield curve inversion. You can see this just a bit. The pink pink area here was a very uh, very whoops very temporary inversion. Anyways, before the tech bubble of of uh, the early two thousands, same thing. And as you can see, beyond and beyond that, uh, there's been inversions followed by recessions shortly. Uh, So again, you know, you know. It's, is it imminent? Is it, is, it, is it coming or is it in, inevitable like the uh, kind of 
article suggests, you know, like it says here, it's not imminent but inevitable. Possibly it's not guaranteed. Again, it's very hard to say. I mean, there's there's no one method to truly know when the recession will occur, if it will occur, and to what extent. But some analysts and investors uh, have been saying that an inverted yield curve uh, can be a self-fulfilling pro uh, prophecy, so exacerbating an economic slowdown and helping push the economy into a recession. Uh, it's, it's a very good point. There's a lot of psychology in economics and the kind of, you know, the way the market plays out as well, because if people see the inversion, they think, oh, wow, it's soon going to crash. And so they will start selling. More people will start selling. It will put selling pressure and therefore we'll, you know, eventually lead ourselves into a recession, even though maybe it wasn't actually going to happen if things were left alone. You know, there was, there's no asymmetric information. There was no uh, random articles and very kind of clickbaity bearish articles just to catch people's attention but that's just how it is so you know even though a yield curve may or may not or inverted yield curve specifically may or may not mean a recession is bound to happen in 18 months whether people believe it or not that's really what matters and the kind of behavior of the people because they're the ones who are selling and buying and they're the ones who determine the price of the uh, bunch of assets so again that that is kind of the main story of uh, this week, it's the inverted yield curve. Very big news. Uh, very interesting, and especially now that I'm at a, at a at an age, sorry, to understand and actually analyze this from my point of view and see what I'm thinking. It's uh, very interesting. I think more people should know about it because, again, it's preceded every recession. So it doesn't mean that a recession is now imminent, but inevitable, potentially. Yes, who knows? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Anyways. Uh, the uh, second news story, I, uh, I'll move on to it now because I guess there's not much more to it, uh, to the yield curve. There's obviously a lot, a, lot of to the, a lot of kind of points to discuss and stuff, but we really have to wait and see because, again, I'm only 20. I'm not going to sit down and tell you whether equities are about to drop next week, but it's just a point of information which I think is very important to discuss. Anyways, second news story comes from Argentina. Uh, maybe everyone has heard of it. I definitely did. It happened at the beginning of this week and it stems from the primary uh, results or the kind of, um, you know, it's uh, to do with the politics in Argentina and the elections, the primary elections. So essentially what happened this Monday is that the uh, top contender and the current president lost by a crazy margin in the primary elections, meaning that he might not be elected for the actual presidency I think it's this October. So what does this mean? The markets were actually betting on the on the president to keep his keep his position and um, keep his kind of streamlined politics in place, you know. But that didn't happen. It was very unsuspected. And on the Monday, the already falling currency uh, dropped another twenty three percent against the dollar, falling to new lows of sixty pesos uh, per dollar. So the currency weakened incredibly. And the S&P Mervo, which uh, obviously is their own stock index, dropped somewhere in the regions of 30 to 40% on the day. It was crazy. It made a slight uh, recovery towards the end because obviously um, the, the entire change of the week is down 24% instead of the 30 to 40% that happened on Monday. don't remember specifically how much it was, but it was crazy. Anyways, I'll move on to the article that I've got up here. So essentially what, what's been happening is that there's been a lot more uncertainty in whether or not Argentina can now cover their sovereign, uh, the, the kind of debts from the IMF bailout, uh, which culminated in a record of 56.3 billion US dollars. 
And since much of, obviously, as you can see now, through the primary election results, as much of the public support for this current president has dropped, it is now very hard to see whether he's going to come back into power. And essentially, um, it shows you the instability of the whole Argentinian economy. So uh, on Monday, not only did the equities drop, not only did the currency drop, but also the sovereign bonds uh, there was a high sell-off in so sovereign bonds, so essentially a sovereign bond is a government bond. So what that shows you is that demand has fallen, you know, people are just selling. And uh, in relation to the first news story, it just shows you that people don't believe that the government is going to be able to pay, pay off these debts. They might default on their debts, etc., etc. Um, in regards to that, obviously, uh, but... Most assets fell in value essentially just because it was a reflection of the poor of the economy doing quite poorly. Uh, another major news story as a result from that is that the star fund manager uh, Michael Hazenstab lost 1.8 billion in a single day, 1.8 billion US dollars. He owns a lot of uh, different funds, so as you can see, as I'm going down the list, um, he lost a total of 1.8 billion US dollars estimated across his um, funds but really the, the point is here is that people have started losing a lot of faith in uh, obviously bonds the, uh, the Argentinian economy as a whole I was actually uh, reading some uh, posts and it was a, a comment sorry on some random reddit post and it was on the same story actually it was people talking about having their savings in uh, essentially uh, the pesos, Argentinian pesos, and they, let's say, you know, live in America, they work in America, uh, they earn US dollars. Essentially, what this means is that before the currency drop, they had, let's say, 100,000 pesos in um, their bank account in Argentina, and that was buying them however many dollars for that same amount. Through the currency drop, you know, of 23%, that $100,000 in pesos, same amount, is now worth 23% less. So, obviously, what that means is that uh, res respectively, in respect to uh, foreign economies, from the look of Argentinian, Argentinian people, their purchasing power on an international stage has absolutely dropped. That's not very good. Some people are saying that's, you know, the kind of first, maybe even not the first, but it's a sign of a world recession. I mean, the kind of things that we're fearing here in uh, Europe and in America, that's already happening, or it has already happened in Argentina so we'll see who is yet to follow. Obviously, the U.S. yield inversion, U.S. yield curve inversion, falls in equities, U.S.-China trade tensions, uh, what's happening in Hong Kong right now is just a big part of, you know, instability on a global level, on a national level in different countries. Again, and this all relates back into economics. It's a lot of politics that we're talking about now, but it all directly impacts eco economics. And obviously... The stock markets, you know, indices of uh, whatever type, so bonds or equities, the, the one I kind of, the two I've I've been focusing on mainly. But yeah, it's uh, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, every week I come back and read much more concerning news on the economy. I mean, I started this show or podcast or whatever you want to call it at the perfect time. Uh, everything is going started to go downhill. Although the fr Friday kind of bounced back on many stocks, left me quite happy with my. Um, with my investments, uh, quite literally, it's it's been a crazy volatile week of trading and in politics as well. As a reflection of politics, actually, I've seen a bunch of stocks that I've been watching going up 4 or 5% and then one day and then drop in 10% the next. Literally, just 
upwards of 4% movements day in, day out. It's been crazy and it's only going to get crazier. So guys, anyways, thank you for watching. Uh, you can actually head to my uh, blog, investingintellect.com, where I talk about sin stocks, something that I uh, mentioned the last week, but actually developed on this week or just a few days ago. Head over to my Instagram, investingintellect as well, where I post uh, interesting visual content, YouTube, etc., Spotify. It's all investing intellect or worldwide economy, one of the two. I hope you have a good week. Stay safe and goodbye.